1: Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. There's never been a faster or easier way to
0: start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. And then he walked into the kind of into the reception area, and there was a body slumped there. He said, "We've obviously written about the Regency over so many years, and you you become a bit desensitised to what actually occurred, which is a very, very brutal murder. It's going to be a complex trial."
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Gerry the Monk Hutch defiantly pleaded not guilty today as he stood accused of the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel in February 2016, the killing that sparked the hutch Kinnahan feud. The trial kicked off shortly after 11am, as the state put its case to the Special Criminal Court. According to the prosecution, Hutch told state witness Jonathan Dowdall he'd been one of the team that shot David Byrne when they met at a park in Whitehall, during which Hutch allegedly was particularly worked up and edgy about a picture that had been published in The Sunday World. He stands accused along with Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney, who both deny facilitating the murder by providing vehicles to the gang. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the opening day of the much-anticipated trial. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Okay, well, it should be okay there. Well, I'm glad you think it should be okay, because if we... uh, Get this podcast out at all, it'll be a miracle yeah. of proportions because we're in different corners of the globe. And uh, I'm certainly having technology issues here. Ian is having them. And well, you're perfect, of course. Of course. Well, once yeah. again, you fly off for the most vital moments. I know.
0: Of Gangland kind of history. So, when was the last time that the, the day
1: Jerry Hutch the was charged, you were gone? And the sanctions, I was gone. Yes. But I'll just say I am in sort of Northern Europe uh, fighting crime as such, but well, certainly, <laughs> or following... Certainly enjoying, enjoying a hotel while fighting crime. Following the trail of one of our other very significant characters that we talk and write about a lot. But anyway, um, so it kicked off this morning, 11am thereabouts, and uh, the opening was something we had read on social media. Yeah, I mean
0: I think it's it's we we a lot of this has been set up in advance. Um there was leak details. Obviously we've spoken about this again and again on social media and it would be hard although there wasn't an absolute level of detail gone into the opening statement which there never is. They give a kind of a broad outline of this of the state's case against the accused. Um, certainly did some of the details on social media were once again seemed pretty accurate.
1: Yeah, and we were a little bit reluctant because we didn't know where it was coming from. It's all anonymous sort of Twitter postings but we did allude to it and sure enough, Sean Gallan opened the case and some of those details were in it. So what did he actually say? I think there's two parts um, to the two strands against Jerry Hutch
0: um, and then there's other strands against the other two accused, uh, who are who are to do with the movement of cars, but the the, the basic strand against Jerry Hutch, the basic uh, case against them involves a witness statement from Jonathan Dowdle, which is well flagged up at this stage. Jonathan Dowdle was obviously sentenced yesterday for his broader role in in the Regency Hotel murder, but his he has situated. Um, Jerry Hutch, he has given a statement saying that Jerry Hutch told them shortly after the Regency Hotel, they met in a park in Whitehall. And while at that park in Whitehall, they discussed the photograph that was on the front of the Sunday World um, showing a man in drag and a man who's been known, became known as, as Flat Cap. Kevin Murray. Kevin Murray, a, a dissident Republican figure from the North. And during this conversation in this park, um, Jerry Hutch told Jonathan Dowdle that he was one of the team that carried out the murder of David Byrne in the Regency Hotel, um, and th- that is a central part of the, the the case. There's also details of some of the statement given by Jonathan Dowdle, where he says he met Jerry Hutch before the Regency, uh, the day before the Regency. And that he, uh, or maybe 48 hours uh, before the Regency, that he handed over um, a key card to the Regency Hotel, to Jerry Hutch, for a room 2140 in the Regency Hotel. And that subsequently, the guard said that they traced, uh, they have CCTV of Kevin Murray entering and using, entering and leaving that room in the Regency Hotel. So that's going to be a central part of the case, and the other central part of the case is what well, has been well flagged up in, in the Sunday World. Really, that the Garda bugged a car, uh, Jonathan Dowdell's car, I believe, um, as he drove Jerry Hutch to the north, and during that com- during that, that that long trip, three or four hours or whatever it is, that they had a lengthy conversations. Some of it to do with the the Hutch Kinnahan feud. Other parts, the guardy contend, discuss the weapons, discuss the players in the feud, and we heard today. Although we we flagged this up as 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 we said, we heard today some of the uh, uh, some of the quotes, and I'm just going to go back and get them. And um, that that the guardy uh, that the state contend that 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 Jerry Hutch made during this conversation, and um, they include uh, Mr. Hutch. Saying to Mr. Dowdle that he wasn't going to show a weak hand while looking for peace with the rival Kinnahan gang, and that during the conversation he spoke about uh, three yokes um, with Jonathan Dowdle, and it's the state's case that when he's talking about these three yokes, that he's talking about the weapons used during the Regency Hotel attack, and um, the, the the machine guns basically that 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 were famously uh, pictured. Um, and that uh, Jerry Hutch said that he was going to make a present of these yokes and give them to the Republican movement.
1: So they were talking in code, clearly, in that car then, and maybe that's something that's natural to them? Or Well, that's certainly, if the state's case is correct, that they were talking about the guns, they were talking in code, they were presumably then... Always wary that they were going to be recorded. Well, possibly so, but I mean, it's certainly not a particularly elaborate code.
0: And it's the state's case that that while discussing these yokes, and um, that there was also there's a there's a trail of evidence where, and um, Gerry Hutch says uh, he was going to give these to the Republican movement. Subsequently, uh, a man named Shane Rowan uh, came down to Dublin and collected the weapons and Gardy. And as a result of this bugged conversation, subsequently stopped him
1: and um, uh, found him in his possession. Rowan later pleaded guilty and was was sentenced and served a prison term. Can I bring it back a little bit and point out what is probably the obvious, but we'll point it out nonetheless for those listening, because this is way before Jonathan Dowdall ever considers going state witness. So none of this conversation, presumably he has, that the state contend he has with Hutch in Whitehall Park. He's not wired. This isn't recorded. So this is going to be his evidence that this is what was said. Hutch has denied the murder. He stood up this morning and pleaded not guilty very defiantly uh, and loudly. And um he is going to say that, you know, he didn't say that because he's he he's pleading not guilty. So this is going to be. Jonathan Dowdall's word, presumably against Hutches. And the second thing is the bugs in those cars. Dowdall, as far as we know, only came into the state witness program in the last. Well, they claimed in his court case that he spoke about it the first time in April or certainly months before April when he was released from custody. And it was then that he had a proper conversation with them. So this is years before any of this. Yeah, so it's it, exactly so
0: clearly Jerry Hutch is going to say this is a conversation, um, that is meant to have happened. What's your proof? Where's your recordings? There are no recordings. I mean, that's that's clear. Um, of however, of the Whitehall conversation, of the Whitehall conversation. However, the state are going to are going to make the case that the other there's a chain of evidence that that supports some of these contentions. Obviously, um, the existence of the key card is going to be a factor. They're going to say how could how could this have got to Kevin Murray? If if you know we have a we have a, a statement saying Jerry Hutch handed it to to Jonathan Dowdle and then it subsequently came into his possession. Obviously, the conversations in 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 the car, they haven't given the full details, but they do say there's a broader discussion of 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 the feud, and um, there's a discussion about the weapons and there's discussion about the players in the feud. So we presumably hear a lot of that, and but you know there isn't. As far as we can, as far as we know at this point, and we don't know everything, but it seems very unlikely that there's going to be a moment on those tapes where Jerry Hutch says, Yes, I plan, I commit, I, I carried out the Regency Hotel murder. That isn't the case that the state is making. However, they're going to make a broader case of describing how, how these These things all came together. And this is what you see again and again in murder trials, where the state will pierce together bits of evidence and say, this is how they fit together and they can't fit together any other way. The defence will say those are isolated pieces of evidence and they don't prove anything in of themselves. So it's going to be a long and and complex trial. That was a part of the evidence. That was the big moments. There's a lot more evidence uh, today, maybe the majority of it even, is to do with the movement of six cars um, that we won't go into now because it's very technical and and specific. But there
1: was a lot of of, uh, evidence about that. And that was summary evidence you heard from Sean Galland. So it was evidence that you will hear as such, because that's what happens in the first day of a trial. You get a summary of what will be heard during the trial. And as it goes on, uh, witnesses will be called who will give that evidence. If they're talking about the movement of cars, they'll be bringing people in to talk about CCTV. Um, if they had any, if there was any tracking on any of the stuff, or if they got anything off phones, etc. But just to bring it back again, just a little bit before we move on to that, and just to set the scene of those two significant meetings, they're talking about the first in Whitehall Park, which happened in the days after the Regency Hotel attack. And the second, it was early in March when they travelled up to the north and um, allegedly with those guns or to to in order to hand back the guns to the paramilitaries. But that was a very uh, volatile time because only days after the Regency Hotel attack, I think three days after it, Eddie Hutch, who was the monk's Brother, he was shot dead in retaliation for the Regency Um, and there was other murders being planned and March and April of that year was going to be a significant time for murders. You had the murder of Noel Duggan in Oath, a friend of the monks, a lifelong friend of the monks. No charges have been brought in relation to his murder. And you also had the the murder of Michael Barr in the Sunset House Hotel. In April of that year, you had the murder of Gareth Hutch in uh, Avondale House. And two men have been convicted. Three men have been, four, sorry, four, two men, three men and one woman have been convicted in relation to that murder. And there's another trial pending. So it was highly volatile. I don't think we've ever seen a more volatile time in the city. Um, and no doubt, Jerry Hutch, whatever his involvement or not, would have been in a very hyper sensitive mood. Yeah, so I mean, you heard
0: a bit of that uh, in the evidence that 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 was presented of that conversation, where Jonathan Dowdle says in a statement that Jerry Hutch was worked up and edgy when he met him. But I I think one of the most remarkable things about it all is that while the, the violence is going on on the streets of Dublin in those weeks, you know, surrounding the Regency, Gerry uh, Hutch seems to be also, at least in the conversation, the recorded conversation, discussing using the IRA to bring about a peace deal. It, is said, it was said in court that he says he didn't want to, he doesn't, he doesn't want to show a weak hand. He wanted the IRA to, to, to be present in negotiations it is claimed and to, to discuss striking a peace deal with the Kinnaghan cartel. However, he didn't want to show a weak hand. And he also says it, it is it is claimed that it's very hard to discuss making peace with the, the, the Kinnaghan cartel because the messenger tends to get it mm. or, or something along those lines. So it's, it's interesting that this is a bit that we maybe haven't heard of this is part of Jonathan Dowdell's evidence. Some of that may be in dispute, but it, it's probably not in dispute that that there does seem to be uh, along alongside this this bloody gangland feud being prosecuted, that there also seems to be some effort at striking a peace deal, which was always part of the the the, the rumor mill and the discussion around the 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 Hutchkin and feud. We always heard this, they were trying to strike a deal, they were trying to get negotiators. Jerry Hutch, of course, would have grown up in the in the North Inner City. His contemporaries and and himself, as they grew up through the through the seventies, 80s, eighties, 80s, and nineties, the, the the power of the Provisional IRA at the time would have been absolute. They would have the IRA would have mediated in 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 gangland disputes all the time. They would have uh, made decisions that would have had to be carried through. So that is another narrative that's going on. I think a, a bit more of an unexpected narrative, actually. And mm-hmm. um, so it, it was. It was quite a. It, that was an interesting bit. I have to say, it's a it's a funny situation being in a court and 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 seeing all those people there. Obviously, Jerry Hutch. He he's wearing headphones throughout it. Um, I don't know if that's as a as a
1: an, an aid to hear. It is. We were we were we were talking about that before when I said suggested to you was he kind of denying the court or whatever. But actually, it is as an aid to hear for somebody with uh, you know any hearing impairment. They are allowed wear those headphones. So that's what that's about.
0: And obviously, um,
1: David Burns' family are there. They heard
0: some very graphic evidence after lunch. And um, his mother is there with it with also with a breathing aid also. So. That's the generation that that are there. It's a very tense situation. But Jerry Hutch was. It was. He's sitting in a in a witness box with his two co accused, who who don't look the part. It has to be said. I mean, they look like three pretty old men,
1: Jason, Bonnie, and and Paul Murphy, who seem to be so secondary in all this. But they are actually. They have pleaded not guilty to facilitating this murder by providing the vehicles. Yes, and we heard quite a lot of ev-
0: evidence. Surrounding them as well, in terms of the movements of cars. A central feature of the trial is going to be uh, the movement of cars in, in in a place in Buckingham Street, uh, which is just in the north inner city. Uh, would have been where an area that Jerry Hutch would know well. Let's put it that way. And um, so it was. It was. It was a very tense. Moment, Jerry Hutch really, really shouted out "Not guilty!" Actually, and not maybe "shouted" is the wrong word, but very definitively. I don't know if that's a part of wearing headphones, where it's very easy to shout, as we all know, uh, when wearing headphones. Um, but Jason Bonnie just walks in. He's on bail, and he just sidles up and into the witness box, and actually held the door open for a few people as as we left for lunch. So there's a very contrasting situation in terms of the the heightened security around around one of the, 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 the accused. Um, in the After lunch, we had Bell uh, Christie, the former head of the, let me get it right now, it's the, the Boxing Association of Ireland. He, he's, a, he's a barrister, a former professional boxer himself, now a barrister. Uh, quite an impressive witness in, in that way. Um, he was obviously there when the Regency attack occurred. He was on stage, he was involved in, in the weigh-in, that was his role as a, as an official, and um, and he spoke in, in you know in great detail about what it was like to be a a witness in that that situation. Uh, a very articulate man. Very articulate, and um, you know, very very. It brings you know. We've obviously written about the Regency over so many years and. Read so much about it, and you become a bit desensitized to what actually occurred, which is a very, very brutal murder. So, hearing him des- describe that was 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 quite powerful, actually. You know. Um, so what so did he, he say, Nile? Well, he described um, being on stage and seeing mayhem break out, and he saw Flat Cap and the man in 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 drag. Walking through the, the the reception, or sorry, the, the the staging area where they were carrying out the weigh-in, he said there was mayhem. People were fleeing, and um, he saw the two people carrying handguns as they walked through the through through the crowd. And um, he was clear that the person uh, dressed in drag was not a woman. He didn't have any doubt in it, and um, he said there was no doubt about it. It was a man given the gate and he was being followed by a guy in a country cap, as he described it, but flat cap is obviously what we we know it as now. And there was slightly, the evidence was the flat cap was running, not speedily, but not slowly, and they ran past him and um, he could see uh, flat cap was not fit, he said. <laughs> he said he looked kind of like he was, he was struggling, basically, but going at a good speed and he just said there was mayhem. There was people absolutely terrified. He saw uh, one of the boxers run into a, a fire escape kind of area in his Donald Duck underpants, as he described it. And when he got, he followed them out there. When he got out there, there was kids crying, trying to be comforted by their parents. He was hearing shots going off inside that he described as sounded more like a small bombs than, 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 than gunshots. Um, eventually, in the aftermath as he came out back into the room. He, as he walked back into the to the room, he saw two people who had been shot. Um, we subsequently know one of them was Sean McGovern, and another was was somebody involved in MGM Marbella. And um, he saw them being treated for gunshot wounds. He continued to walk through. One of them, one of the guys, was being treated for gunshot wounds in the stomach by a, a boxing trainer he didn't know those guys he said he couldn't recognize them and then he walked into the kind of into the reception area and he saw a number of women who were quite agitated and there was a body slumped there he said almost looked like it was resting up against the reception area there was women shouting they shot kevin he said um i'm not sure what that was in you know if that was a name um and He saw the body, as he described it. The body was on the ground, and it was a corpse, and its face had been blown off. Obviously, speaking about David Byrne, and there was
1: graphic evidence, and his parents were there. His parents were there, and they were sitting behind me,
0: so I didn't see their reaction. But it must—it must be very traumatic to hear that—that description. He said there was absolute general panic, um, as a result of what happened, and he he got outside eventually still there was no police on the scene and he came across a couple of young men he said and they were in a state of almost panic and they seemed to know what it, who had been shot and one of them he said as he tried to talk to them one of them had a large knife he was trying to conceal up his sleeve so there was, it was a terrifying atmosphere no doubt and um, so it, was, it brings home the and what did Mel Christie do? Did he stay around or did he leave? He left. And as he was leaving, he said the first ambulance was just arriving. But he got out. Obviously, it must have been people not knowing what was going to happen next. Those guys are outside carrying knives. And he got out and basically cancelled cancelled the the boxing night.
1: Yeah and that was the beginning of the end well certainly in this country for MGM it's interesting that he makes those calls to cancel that immediately there's no question in his mind that this is over. Yeah I mean he
0: gave quite a lot of evidence not of dealing maybe with MGM but dealing with with Frank Warren's Queensbury promotions which we kind of forget that it was a, a joint venture or in fact uh, Queensbury promotions were the ones leading the promotion that the you know MGM fighters were on the bill, but it wasn't really an MGM uh, boxing night. So even with that connection, with that size of the event, there was two hundred and fifty people out of weigh-in, which is a huge amount uh, for something that's that's not the main event. So they were really at that point looking to have a big future in Ireland putting on pro-, pro boxing shows, let alone the UK where they were hooked up with one of the most famous names in boxing, Frank Warren's company, let alone across, as subsequently, the Middle East and other places. So at that point, MGM Marbella, which was founded by Daniel Kinnan, looked to have a really, really big future. But the Regency ultimately, slowly but steadily, would lead to the end of that company, which came
1: only really following the US sanctions uh, earlier this year. And that company um, later that year moved its headquarters from Spain to Dubai and Daniel Kinahan left Spain for Dubai around the same time. MGM, we were later told, was sold to, totally outright sold by Daniel Kinahan and his co-founder, Matthew Macklin, to Sandra Vaughan, a businesswoman from Scotland, who had previously been involved in Fake Bake, the company, Um, she bought over the company and she started to, they renamed it MTK, there seemed to be some tangle with MGM Vegas about the name but they renamed it and she went on a one woman uh, mission to make sure that nobody thought it was connected with Daniel Kinahan and she would later get so cross and angry about the Irish media Um, And the fact that they couldn't, that MTK, the newly named MGM, couldn't put on shows in Ireland because they did try and put on a few things again and they were refused licenses uh, by the boxing authorities here. They were able to grow and put on shows in Belfast, in Scotland, in the UK and across the rest of the world, but they never again came to Ireland because we were told and anytime we made inquiries, it was because... I think basically the guardie could couldn't say that this was the safe thing to do. They couldn't say that there was no risk because there was, because that feud continued over the years and is still live and active. Thankfully there haven't been any murders, but nonetheless the feud is seen as something that is still in existence. And Sandra Vaughan even banned the Irish media from interviewing or reporting about her boxers. And she later did a bit of a turnaround on that. But MTK folded around the same time as the U.S. Treasury sanctioned the Kinahan Organised Crime Group. Now, it's MTK still has gyms running in Tenerife and other parts of the world. But the actual company in, in Dubai did fold. So they were intrinsically linked to that moment, to that day in the Regency Hotel, and no name change or new owners seem to be able to separate them from it. No, I mean, they got, they they, they managed to, to put up a fight against the
0: reality, even up until maybe this time last year, there was talk about Daniel has no convictions and he's never done this, never done that. But those days are gone now since the US sanctions and even just last week we heard in, in a High Court case involving a, a mansion previously owned by, by uh, Jim Mansfield that uh, CAB have now seized as, as being uh, owned by Daniel Kennahan, and was heard that Daniel Kennahan had ordered a number of murders as part of the feud So the days of being able to shamefacedly say Daniel Kinnan has nothing to do with crime and nobody says he does except for a few wackos in the Irish media are long gone.
1: And in actual fact, I think during that cab proceeding the last time, one of the most interesting lines that came out of it, and maybe it's just putting on the court record what we have been saying for a long time, but uh, an affidavit by Detective Superintendent Seamus Boland of the, the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau stated that Daniel Kinahan sanctioned a number of murders. Yeah, so uh, his, his those days of the MGM
0: Marbella, certainly at that point it 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 looked like they were going to dominate boxing in in this country and the UK in particular but they were gone they're gone now so I mean I think tomorrow you're going to hear a lot of evidence about some of the medical evidence some of the evidence over the next few months I think is going to be very uh, painstaking and detailed as you know yourself as you go into the courts today was a Kind of a summarising of from 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 the prosecution, but the next few days you'll hear that chain of evidence slowly and steadily, and I think the movement of cars, the movement of phones, all of that will become a, a huge feature in it. But there will become there will come another big day in court. Mm. Will be the day that Jonathan Dowdle comes in and 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 acts as a, a witness because he has to act as a live witness. He has to be cross-examined, and I think that
1: would be a, 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 a blockbuster moment. Well, by the sounds of the opening, um, that is the main thing that the prosecution have I- in relation to Jerry Hutch. Um, you'd wonder what the case looked like, without doubt, all going state witness. Well, I think there is the recordings, which
0: have obviously been there for a number of years, and the Gardaí have had it s- since then. At the initial point, they didn't charge him with murder. They subsequently charged him, Jerry Hutch, with murder on the basis of all of those pieces of evidence being put together. But I think they will feel that Jonathan Dowdell's testimony will help link up those pieces of evidence. Jerry Hutch's team will say, "Is, is this reliable evidence? Do any of these one single bits stand alone enough to convict him? I mean, we don't know, but it's it's it's. The evidence is going to be of that type, I think, you know, Um, but the bugged conversations, you know, they are going to make some day in court as well, because I don't know.
1: They'll be played. I've heard them before being played, those conversations. They're kind of grainy sometimes. Um, I've heard them through a couple of trials in relation to membership of illegal organizations. I heard them during the trial of Alan Wilson and co um, in connection with the conspiracy to kill Gary Hanley. You have to listen hard to make them out, but they can be quite interesting because you can sort of sit back and hear mostly normal conversation. And in between there's the, 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 the bits that obviously are the reason why these guys are in the dock, you know. Um, but I just—it's interesting. I wonder: does uh, you know when you when you get to Jerry Hutch's age, if you have been involved in organized crime, if all these years, um, does speaking in code just come completely naturally? I never think that the code is really that uh, complex. It seems to be a little bit like the way people who are used to one another's company speak. Um, certain conversations we've ha- we'd have we have maybe even in the office, people wouldn't understand them from the outside but everybody does and they're not really that Has that code lingo saved anybody's bacon in court? Mm. I mean I
0: struggle to think that it has to be honest uh, we've had obviously the, the Thomas Bomber cabinet. there was a lot of code there, didn't seem to save the day and the Alan Wilson case as well, similarly but these are all hurdles that, that the state have to get over and these are all hurdles that the state that the defense will try and put up. It's going to be a complex trial.
1: And Jerry Hutch is he, he's listening
0: intently obviously to every word. He's listening intently to every word. and um, there was an application at the end to make sure that he doesn't have to, he's been processed through Port Leash prison, but he's staying in, in Wheatfield. So there was an application made that he wouldn't have to keep traveling to Port Leash and then to Wheatfield. He looks, he looks pretty relaxed. I actually thought he looked more relaxed today than he did a couple of weeks ago when we were there for the opening of the case.
1: That's funny because Dowdall looked that way as well. It's like as if the dust has settled on the immediate sort of enormity of what had happened. I think as well, they they may know what they have to face now.
0: Jerry Hutchins is too co-accused. They have a book of evidence. There's on. You know, it's, as we said before, it's possible. I think that that other evidence can be introduced at a late late date. But really, they know it's 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 not common to, to, to
1: put it that way. So they know what's in front of them. And he's been uh, he's been defended by Brendan Grahan SC, an eminent uh, senior counsel instructed by ferry Solicitors. Has he got to his feet yet at all, or has he really got? Did he cross-examine and examine Mel Christie, or was there much to that? There wasn't much, I mean,
0: it was very minor cross-examination on, on small details about who promoted the event and who didn't promote the event. There was always a couple of guardi gave evidence as well, one about the, the f- photographs of the scene and other photographs uh, taken of cars found. Again, there was a, a slight bit of cross examination, and they actually will come back to one of those Guardian who didn't have his notes present, and 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 that stuff. But it wasn't it wasn't a high powered. It wouldn't have made an episode of Suits, put it that yeah, way. Yeah,
1: Graham's just getting warmed up, I'd say, because when you see him going now, it'll it'll start getting it'll start. Getting yeah, interesting. I
0: mean, obviously, the Sunday World got a good few mentions as well. Uh, not to toot her own horn, if if you can want to put it that way, but um, obviously that that. Conversation that Jonathan Dowdle alleges Kings occurred, in, yeah, in Whitehall. The focus of that, according to Jonathan Dowdle, uh, according to Jonathan Dowdle's statement, was the publication of the pic- the picture of flat cap and the man in drag, and that they had discussed that photograph in the Sunday World, and specifically that led Jerry Hutch to detail to say to him, according to Jonathan Dowdle that he was part of that team and that that is then going to be a central feature of the trial
1: again. And the Sunday World photograph, of course, was separate to other photographs that were taken on the day. The Sunday World photograph was simply one image of flat cap and a man in drag running from the hotel. It looked like a scene from Reservoir Dogs. It was an extraordinary image of uh, gangland crime taken by our own photographer, Ernie Leslie, who I think was called to the last trial uh, in relation to Patrick Hutch uh, before the state issued the null prosequi in relation to his his charge. But um, that photograph was seized under warrant in our offices and published with, pixelated initially, uh, it was pixelated in that you couldn't see the, the the photographs and that was because the state had seized it under warrant. There was a bit of a, a tuha in the office in relation to it. But um, there was other photographs taken on that day um, and published in other media, including our sister paper, The Irish Independent. And those photographs were of three men dressed in the ERU uniforms going in fully covered. But uh, no mention of that. No, there, there
0: was a um, mention of that as well. Um but the, the the focus I think of the conversation between uh and, and Hutch or the alleged conversation was the Sunday World That's photograph. Sunday world mm. Yeah. So we we we'll get we'll be getting mentions during it, I suppose. Um it was it was flagged up by the state that they're gonna focus in on um as part of the broader case uh the existence of the, the what they described as the hutch criminal organization and that's going to be another central feature i think of the case they're going to they spoke about having uh, gardi are going to take the stand to describe the operations of the hutch criminal organization because that's going to be part of the broader case that this was an exe- like a well executed what mm. was described as a militaristic and macabre murder Carried out by a criminal organisation, and that's also going to feature in the evidence that they're going to seek to to, to show that this was the operation of a criminal criminal gang, and um, and that's a, that's an essential part of the case that as the state put put it forward.
1: Okay, well we'll see what tomorrow brings and uh, continue to give updates on the crime world podcast when we feel there's enough evidence of interest really for people um, they can tune in we'll hopefully get this one out tonight if this, honest God if this works yeah, I think we should all deserve a medal Ian in particular but anyway many medals yeah many medals we all we all get a medal like the, the school sports day right well listen over and out from here and I'll talk to you tomorrow thanks Nicola